Um, we're going to talk about marriage today. Obviously, it's the scripture that we're going to be talking about, which we'll be diving into. But let's just be honest. Marriages today are struggling. And I believe God wants something better. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about whether, whether your, your relationship, your marriage right now is thriving, whether you are fighting and struggling, if it's holding on by a thread. If you're here today and this is, you know, you're, you're here and you're single or you're dating or you're divorced or you're widowed, um, the stuff we're going to be talking about today, I realize this is deeply personal. And just even mentioning it, some of us might even feel like we're trapped here right now because it's so triggering. We didn't know this was a topic, and uh-oh, here we are. And I realize this, there's some deep wounds just by bringing up the, the subject. I want to say that there's hope today. And yes, we'll be using illustrations, and I'll be talking specifically about marriage. But I think across the board, these, these principles that we'll be talking about uh, apply in all relationships and for anybody that wants to be a leader, then I think there's some leadership principles that we're going to be discussing as well. I do believe there's, there's things that God wants to speak. I will not be able to fix your marriage today. This is not going to fix it. But I do believe, as I've been praying over this message, it will give us some strong principles and foundations to get us moving in the right direction, the direction towards healing, the direction towards purpose, the direction that we want our, our marriages to go. Some of these are going to require some deep work, and I'm just going to skim the surface of some of these things. But if we'll take it to heart and put these things into practice, it can lead us where we want to go. Some of us, we are struggling in our marriage. We're having issues in our marriage, quite simply just because we are different. <laughs> you and I are different. We are not the same. The person that we married is different than us. And we can talk about all day long about the differences. A lot of the differences sometimes come just in expectations. The expectations that we have, the unspoken expectations, the expectations that we have when we even thought what marriage was going to be like. Ladies in the room, how many of you as a, as a little girl uh, growing up or as a teenager, you had some, some dreams and some fantasies about getting married one day, about what that wedding day might look like? where you were marrying the perfect guy, you had the perfect dress with the ring, you had the, the place picked out, you had kind of the reception and some of the music things that you were picking out, you're dreaming of the home and the, 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 the kids and the whole package of this perfect marriage. Did anybody as a little girl just kind of dreaming about or fantasizing about what that might look like one day? Okay. Now, guys, as a, as a, as a young teenage boy, did you have maybe some different fantasies or things you were dreaming about on your wedding day or wedding night? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Different. Not wrong. Not wrong. Just different. We're different on our expectations. How many of you are still dreaming now? You're like, I'm still dreaming. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, all right. <laughs> uh, it's just kind of how it is. Expectations of what we hope marriage will be often seems to fall way short of what it actually is sometimes. It's like in a, in, a, in a cookbook, you know, I see the picture of the cake, and I want this cake. But then I go make my cake, and here's Pinterest, 
And here's the actual outcome. And it doesn't look like anything that it's supposed to be on here. I mean, we go to work, we come home. We eat dinner, we watch TV. We then go to our respective corners of the bed, go to sleep. The next day, we do it again. And we do it again, and we do it again, and we do it again. We're kind of like glorified roommates. I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe we could have sex tonight. I don't know. I, I, it'd be easier to just scroll, because scrolling is a pretty much a guaranteed outcome. Talking about or maybe wanting to have sex, that might just stir up a fight. I, it'd just be easier. Then we kind of, I don't know if they, are they even, are they seeing someone else? Because, I, I mean, I, I know they ain't seeing me. Is this the way it's supposed to be? Like, is this, a, is this a, as good as it gets? Because this isn't what I expected. If, if you're struggling today, let me just tell you one, one thing. Breathe, okay? Breathe. A lot of what we're going to talk about today and a lot of the tension and fights that we get in in marriage and things that we struggle with are normal. And in some ways, they're kind of necessary if we're going to grow and work through. Listen, it's a process to get to the cake. I need the right ingredients, but I don't just need the right ingredients. I got to get them in order. I got to get them in the right order. And sometimes, in order to get this beautiful cake, it's got to go through the fire to get where I need to go. There's a process here, and I want to submit to you today that maybe, just maybe, marriage is about two people becoming better humans rather than about being two people becoming happy. Now, I can make a joke and just say, look at the married people around here and see if they're happy or not, but that's not... That's, Marriage is more designed about us becoming better humans. God created us to make us better. And if we're, li if we're living on this pursuit of you complete me and we're Jerry Maguire and you're, you're here to make me happy, you're going to fall way short and be struggling a whole lot. Now, I do believe you can be happy in marriage, all right? But there's a certain process and a way to go about it to get to the cake. There's hope, but not outside the process. Now, in our text today, Paul gives us a little bit of insight about how this can work. He says, For wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. Not as the church now as the church submits to Christ. So wives submit to your husbands in everything. Now I've scoured all over commentaries looking into this and just trying to, to debunk this. And let me just say, this is, has nothing to do with, zero to do with women being doormats and slaves for their husbands. This has zero to do with women are inferior to men. Zero, zilch, none. This is not about confining women to a kitchen and pumping out babies. This is not about women being sex objects for their husbands. All right? 
this is, this is, I don't know what you think of when you read this, but I think it just needs to be said. This is not what Paul is stating here. In fact, he goes on to say the rest of the scripture is focused on husbands. How are you to lead your wives? The rest of it. So this message today, quite honestly, is not to the women. Guys, this one's for you. We've got work to do. And it may not fit what we've been taught or shown, but he gives us a very clear picture of how we are to lead our families. And I got five principles I want to go through here. The next thing he says is, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. The first thing you're going to do, if you're going to lead in your families, men, you need to love her. The question begs, how did Christ love the church? Great question. How did he love her? He did not treat her like a doormat, nor a slave. He did not treat women like they were inferior. He loved them. How so? Well, let's look at a few examples. Mark 10. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Men, you are to be a servant leader in your home. You are to serve them. They are not to serve you. How did Jesus love the church? He served the church. Right before he was arrested, he had his men together. He knew his time was coming near, and we know that scene. They're having the Passover meal, and all these guys are bickering over who's the greatest. Who's the greatest? And, and, and it's kind of the context of the scene, the disciples. And Jesus sees that no one had washed any of their feet. What does he do? He leads the way by taking the position of a slave that they were too proud to do to one another. And Jesus humbly shows them the way and washes their feet. So much so, they were grotesque. And Peter said, no, 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 no way. That is beneath you. You can't do that. And Jesus said it. If I don't get to wash your feet, you have no part of me. How did Jesus love the church? He served his church. He served his bride. I'll give you another one. Mark 9, 35. He says, whoever wants to be first, whoever wants to be the greatest, must take last place and be servant to everyone else. This goes opposite of what we naturally want or feel, and cross it does not go with culture. Our culture loves power, status, money, success. He's saying, I got a different game plan. Now, Jesus also provided. I know a lot of guys who like to play, I lead by providing. But let me tell you, men, you are more than a paycheck. That's great that you can provide a paycheck. I'm glad that you work and you work hard. But if you are providing your leadership, if your leadership rests solely on the fact that you are a paycheck, you are missing the point. Your family needs you. Your family needs you. Your family wants you. And so we lead more than just providing. That is not the sole thing. He serves as well. I want to be great in this world. I want to shoot for greatness in this world. But greatness in God's kingdom is not the same as greatness in this world. Greatness looks a whole lot different. I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great dad. 
I want to be great in relationships. And so when I think about being great, it, it, it is changing for me in my, my years, in my, in my 40s, for what greatness looks like and what it ought to be in my life. First thing to do, I'm going to lead. I'm going to lead by loving her. Second thing, how to lead. Take responsibility and clean the mess. Now, quick pause, because I was telling, going through this with Rita last night, and she said, wait a minute, now you're calling me a mess? <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 I'm not calling you a mess. You're not a mess. Look at the verse, look at the verse, look at the verse. He gave up his life for her. That should say something right there. I'll give up my life, not just, oh, I'll die for you. No, like, my life, I'm giving up myself and sacrificing for her. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Don't miss that. He's, he's in the word. He is pointing her to the word. There is spiritual leadership here. So often when I meet with, with couples or I meet with couples in 15 years of marriage and we're dealing with issues and, I, and they're real issues, but we'll talk about, hey, how's your relationship with the Lord? What's going on with there? And it's kind of like, it's almost, it's like, I haven't been in the Word lately. I haven't been to church lately. I'm not praying. I'm not doing anything to really get my, to lead myself to the Lord. How about we start there, leading ourselves in our own spiritual relationships? To make her holy and clean, washed and cleansing the Word, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. So, what's the idea here? That he's presenting the church, his, his bride, spotless. Now, how many of you, when you think of the church, you're thinking, oh man, the church is perfect and spotless? No, you know, there's no blemishes in the church whatsoever. Huh? No, you're laughing at me, shaking your head, because what are we? We're carrying wounds. We are, we are hemorrhaged and bleeding all over people because of our church wounds, or some of us, we are so hard-hearted. We have, we're not bleeding on people. We've just closed up, and we are, we are, there is a wall on anything church-wise, right? And, and, and Christ is saying, no, 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 you got to see how I love the church. Without spot or blemish, I love the church. Church is my plan A. There is no plan B. I'm all in. I haven't given up. What happened... Go back to the first marriage, because so much of God's design for marriage is based on the first one, and even Paul, we'll talk about it here in a minute, he references the first marriage. God's design for marriage and sexuality goes back to the garden, Adam and Eve. What did they do? They sinned, like, just a few minutes in, just one chapter in, they're already just blowing it. God comes walking through, and who does he go to? This is important. He goes to them both, but who did he go to first? Adam. It says, then the Lord called to the man, or Adam. He called to Adam. Where are you? So, this is important. I, I do believe in, in, in the male headship, that, the, that there's male responsibility in the marriage. And you see in the first one here that God goes to Adam first. Now, it doesn't mean that Eve's off the hook because he still goes to her. 
But if you know this story, and most of you do, did Adam take responsibility for his mistake, for the mistake? Because Eve was just as involved as he was. No, what did he do? He did not take responsibility. Adam said, that woman you gave me. It was a bad answer then. It's a bad answer now. It does not work. That woman. And he goes to Eve to hold her accountable for what she did. What did he do? That snake. She, no one wants to be held accountable. Listen, and I, and I, I, you may not agree with me on this, okay? We can st- I, I promise you, I promise you, in like 99.9% of the cases, if you're like fuming over some things I've already said, and I, I get it, I get it. If we were to sit down one-on-one and talk about this, because I realize this is from a stage, this is not very relational, I, we could disagree on this, and we would still be friends. We could still respect one another. So I'm, I'm, I'm preaching hard because I want to see marriage say, but if you disagree with me on this, I just, I really do feel like, hey, we, we can still coexist. We can still be united on this. But I do, I do believe that he's saying, hey, th- th- this still applies today. This isn't a cultural thing just for Ephesians because he does reference Genesis. He's saying this is from the creation. It's kind of how God designed marriage. Now, picture a car. Picture a car that had two steering wheels, one on, one on, now it's not the passenger side, it's you got two steering wheels. They both have equal amount of power. Picture two sets of gas pedals and brake pedals. And I put you and your spouse after church into that car and, and said, go ahead, drive home. It, you, you guys wouldn't make it home tonight. Some of you guys wouldn't even make it out of the parking lot if that was the case. Like I was just saying, somebody has to, to, to be responsible here we go to watch our favorite football team play this afternoon, which the Broncos are playing, and the Chiefs are out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you can't have everybody be the quarterback. Not everybody gets it. We got, we got to have defined and set roles. So he's just saying, hey, here's the role. And I've already said what it's not, but he's setting up an example here of here's, here's who's responsible here. And you see it in, in Genesis where he goes to Adam first. All right? There was another pastor that talked about how they were in a snowstorm and riding a snowmobile in a mountain area or something like that. And so he, he was uh, with his wife, and they're riding the snowmobile and in this storm. And he's driving, and she's riding kind of tucked in behind while he's taking all the punches and the brunt force of the storm. He's, he's, he's leading the way. I've heard another pastor say it's like, hey, ladies, submitting is kind of like you ducking and letting God punch your husband. Like, he's coming to him first. And men, some of us, we want to duck and let her take, take on that loanership. And, and no, 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 this is ours. Take responsibility. Going back to the football thing, okay, my Denver Bronco fans, you beat the Chiefs a couple weeks ago. Congratulations. You guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once out of every, I don't know, decade? Anyway. I was so mad in that game. I was so mad because the Chiefs receivers kept fumbling the ball. They weren't getting open. They dropped passes. And I'm like, after that game, I'm like, if we're going to win the Super Bowl as Chiefs, we need new receivers. Trade deadlines in a week. We've got to make some moves. This is insane. I'm so mad. Coach Reed, Coach Andy Reed, who's one of my favorite coaches. I got a a quote I want to show you. He goes in at the press conference, and he says, you know what, you're not going to be able to function at a very high level if the NFL leagues win and play like that. I'm like, yeah, no, duh, get new receivers. This is crazy. 
So it's my responsibility to get the team ready. We had a, we had a get, the other game that we lost, first game of the season, we had a guy, he, he dropped two passes. One of them tipped. It was right in his hands. Totally blew it. And it bounced to another guy. That guy caught it for a pick six. And I'm just, again, I'm, you guys don't need to know my football horror stories. I was angry. Coach Reed did the same thing to that same receiver. That receiver dropped the ball, blew the game, obviously blew the game. And Coach Reed, after the game, says, you know what? I put him in some bad positions, some bad routes that we'll work on that. But I, that's my fault. I didn't get him in possession to where he could catch the ball. A good coach, a good coach gives credit when his team wins and takes responsibility when the team loses. Guys, we get this. This is a leader that isn't going around pointing fingers and taking blame. He takes responsibility. Say, so you know what? I'm the leader. I'm the coach. That's my responsibility. If there's something jacked up in your relationship or marriage, she might have some things to work on, but I'm going to take responsibility. And I sure as heck ain't going to go around gossiping and parading and trashing her, making her look like garbage, because that's not what Christ did. Christ presented the bride spotless. Spotless. Leaders take responsibility. Adam, she did it. That woman, she did it. No, 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 no. Take responsibility. Don't follow Adam. How to lead. Number three, I got to work on my issues. I got to work on my issues. I recently got an email from somebody who was going through a divorce or potential divorce, and they're asking me to pray for them. And when I got their email, I read through it, and they're like, hey, Mike, can you please pray for my wife that she would change? because she's thinking about running through this divorce, and I really don't want to go through this divorce, and I need her to change here and here and here. Could you pray for her? I didn't have the heart to tell him, sir, I'm going to pray for you. She might carry 90% of the issues in the marriage, but he had blinders on. Everything in, her, in, the, in, in his email was change her, change her, change her, change her, change her. I would have had a lot more empathy if there was some things in here say, change me, change me, change me. It is my responsibility to become a better spouse, period, not my wife's. It is not her job to change me. That is on me. That is my responsibility to work on, on my issues. So many of us, we think when we are fantasizing about getting married one day, we're searching for the one. I wish I could just find the one. If I could just find the one. If I could just find the one. The one you're looking for is Jesus. That's the one you want. When you put that kind of pressure on your spouse to be the one, and then they can't be the one, no one can be that for you except for God. You're going to crumble. Then when they're not the one, we start fighting, we start bickering, we start having tension, we start struggling, and now we got marriage problems. Here's what you really got. You got two people, two single people with single people problems that are now married together. These are not marriage problems. You got single people problems. We all bring some baggage with us into the relationship. Your baggage might be a brown paper sack. Their baggage might be dressed up in leather and Gucci, but I promise you it is baggage nonetheless. 
It might look prettier in certain ways. I got to work on my issues. I got to work on my issues. They're not the responsibility of my spouse. I got to tolerate some discomfort in order to grow. I don't, I just, in another way, I just thought about just saying this, grow up. <laughs> in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds it and cares. You grow up. You take care of yourself. You love yourself. So we got to grow. We got to tolerate some discomfort in order to grow. That is my job. Fourth thing, because I got to keep going. I got to empower her to find her purpose. He says, as scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Again, he's basing all of this back to the very first marriage. Okay? So this, this applies across the board. He's saying, I'm basing this on creation. There were two people united into one. But both of them had a relationship with God before they had a relationship with one another. And this is so important in our marriages today. Yes, we are united. Yes, we are together. But each person is uniquely created by God, uniquely called by God, which we've been reading about in this whole book, that have a, a purpose that God has called uniquely just for them. So it is my job, one, to know that and understand that. She is not mine. She is his. She is the daughter of the king. She is blessed. She is highly favored. She is called. She is intelligent. She is beautiful. And it is my job to help her, empower her to, I'm not calling her. I just, I want to help go along that whole journey with her and see where that is. Not to stifle it and put her in a box and say, well, you're just confined to this because you got to submit to me. No. I'm on a journey not only to find my own purpose, but help her to lead her to hers. Here's what we see in a lot of marriages that we get together, and I'm going to call this an A-frame marriage. And, and, and I've used this example before, but in this A-frame marriage, the, the, the weight of the two are, are dependent upon one another. I, in order for, the, if one of them were to move or just shift out of the way, and I'm putting all my weight on the other person, I'm going to crash and fall. So all of my focus in this type of relationship is trying to keep them in the same spot. I want them to be happy. Oh, they're not happy? They're angry? Okay, well, I'll change this, and I'll do this to make them happy. And now I'm controlling, and I'm manipulating, and I'm doing everything I can. This is a, I need you to need me. We need each other here because if we, if we move, we're crashing and we're burning. There are times in your marriages where you need one another. I need to lean on you. I'm weak. I need some help or whatever. But can, I, can I submit to you that this is not the, God's design for marriage, a codependent relationship? Each one of you are uniquely created by God, designed by God with purpose and a calling. I think the better picture of marriage is not an A-frame where we're leaning on one another, but two individuals who are standing solidly and firm in their relationship with God. I am my own person. Rita is her own person, beautifully unique and created. It doesn't mean that we don't care for one another. Again, there's going to be times when we, 
we need to lean on one another? That works well if we're stagnant and not moving. But life, life has this great thing where we're always constantly changing and being moving and different things. I need someone who's solid. We don't, we don't want the needy person who's constantly leaning and dependent upon us. I want someone who's strong and confident and independent. Now, what's scary about this is, hey, they're strong, they're confident, they're independent. They might walk away. If I'm strong and confident and independent and I know who I am, I found my identity in Christ, and I want to live this thing out, they may choose not to like that version of me. They could walk away. I mean, it takes vulnerability and risk to say this is who I am and where I feel like God's calling and want to go. And so that very same vulnerability and that risk will cause us to hide. I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to open up. I don't want to share because I, I, you might leave. You may not like me. You may reject me, and so I'll hide. The other opportunity is when you have two confident individuals who are standing firm in their relationship with God, they know who they are, they're walking in their calling, they're walking in their purpose, they can get as close as they want together. It could be a beautiful, powerful image of two people united together. I'm not dependent on you, I'm dependent on God. We're both seeking God in this thing. And we can walk forward, we can run together, we can slow, like, whatever we need to do. We're, we're, we're solid here. My, my spouse doesn't complete me. I don't need her. That's, it works great in movies. Jerry Maguire, you complete me. Oh, yeah. And they're all crying in there. It's terrible in life. Jesus completes me. If I'm living for an audience of one, it's him. If I want to lead, I need to empower her to seek him. Recognize that she's the daughter of the king. Last one, and I'm hitting on my time. I need to forgive. This isn't specifically written in this passage, but if we read in Ephesians, just in chapter 4, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Last week, if you were here, we talked about the sins, right? All these sins. Don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do. What you didn't know was I gave you a full marriage seminar last week. Look at it. Get rid of all bitterness, get rid of rage, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. What's interesting is that word instead, I highlighted it. Some of your versions say and. But in, in the Greek, it's kind of like, saying, on the other hand, on one hand, bitterness, rage, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. But on the other hand, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. You have a choice. You have a choice. On one hand, you can hold that grudge. And let me tell you, anger and bitterness, it's very motivating. 
Sometimes I can feel very alive holding on to these things. I have a reason to be mad at you. I have a, I have a reason to be upset. You owe me. You hurt me. And I hold on to this because it reminds me of why I don't feel as complete or happy as I should be because of holding. On the other hand, to be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. That word forgiving, the Greek word comes from the word grace. He says, in a way you could read it, say, gracing one another. I can hold on to a grudge, or on the other hand, grace. I got one more verse I want to show you. In a revelation, we've talked about this book in the, in, the, in the last three weeks. The book of Revelation, Jesus addresses the Ephesian church. And he says, you've done some good things, but here's what I got against you. You don't love me or each other as you first did. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me the works that you did at first. In other words, he said, you let go of your first love. When you look at that Greek word, it's that word, you let go of me. You cannot hold on to a grudge and hold on to Jesus at the same time. You choose. You choose. On one hand, oh, I can hold on to this grudge. And it can grow bitter and sow a seed. It leads me in a direction that I do not want to go. But on the other hand, I can let go. I can let go of that. And I can hold on to Jesus. Now, I know what you're thinking because you're like me. That seems so weak. That's no leadership. I feel so weak and powerless and out of control just letting them go. And I'm not saying you forget. I'm not saying you don't set boundaries and act like all is well. No, 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 no. But I'm saying when you let Go! That is one of the most powerful things on this planet that you can ever do. This is the gospel. Jesus had every right to come after you and I. We were blemished many times. And the most powerful thing that the most powerful man did, forgive them. Spotless. Grace. Oh, but they didn't deserve it. And neither did I. It's a sacrifice. How do we lead in our families? We love them. We take responsibility, men. We don't point fingers. I work on my issues, and I've got plenty. I empower her to find her unique God-given purpose in her life. I'll lead the way in that. And where I need to forgive, I will go first. This is the gospel. The gospel changes everything. I, I Listen, <laughs> I know we read that verse about submission, 
And now I'm harping on the guys. Nobody likes this, all right? I don't like it. I don't want to. I get it. It's not about liking or want to. The gospel changes everything. This is what Jesus did. God fights for me, not with me. Jesus was all in without expectation. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. You bring that foundation into a marriage. You bring that foundation into a marriage. Oh, we're doing things now. We're moving now. We're seeing the kingdom built now. So with that, let's stay in our prayer. I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the message today. I hope you felt inspired to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Just a couple next steps that you can take coming out of this. One, leave a review or a comment or share this message. That really does spread the message further and faster when you do that. Secondly, if there's a next step that you need to take coming out of this, head on over to our website, click get involved, and let us know exactly how you can take your next step. We would love to partner with you in that. And finally, if you have been impacted in a positive way through our ministries or your family has been impacted in a positive way through our ministries, go on over to our website and click give. And if you want to partner with us financially, that would be huge in getting the message of Jesus out through our ministries. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast. Have a wonderful week. God bless.